Morning, Tim. Great to be with you. She's telling us what got her involved in this. All those years ago, it's hard to imagine that's been 12 years ago. What what was the driving force then, uh, in whatever the year that would have been, 2006? What, what led right. you to seek elective office? Well, I'd been involved in a lot of things, civic activities around the community. I'd been the president of the Heart Association locally, involved in my church, First Presbyterian, Sertoma Club, the Touchdown Club, and had a lot of friends that kept asking me, why don't you run for office? We'd like for you to to represent us, and I had a sort of a long-standing interest in politics and current affairs, current events, and uh, just just growing up always was attuned to it and paid attention, and finally got to the point where it, I felt like it was time for me to stop criticizing the people in office that I didn't agree with their uh, position, certainly, and, and it was my way to contribute to society on, on a area that it was of great interest uh, and in. the voters keep sending it back to the point where and I, I remember this i was thinking about this this morning you actually had a, had a really some would say a golden opportunity to uh, shall we say upsize had you wanted to you could have run for congress you might well have won a congressional seat uh, right. you chose not to do that you chose to stay here uh, and you had your reasons for doing that but it, it speaks to the fact that i it, you tell me it seems as though you kind of enjoy what you're doing in the senate now i really do i, I love doing uh, my part and i realize it's just a small part, you know, to make Georgia better, make it a better place for all of us, for my children, for my grandchildren down the road. And, and I, I think it's a way uh, to make your community better, to make your state better. And, and those are issues that I'm interested in. I care about national events, international affairs and those type of things. It just wasn't the right time in my life with my children still in school to, to run for Congress. And I felt like um, this is where I belong. That's where right. I can contribute. Risen to a position of some responsibility in the Georgia Senate, the state Senate majority leader, then with it, a great deal of agenda setting. Uh, you helped shape the agenda for the Senate. You may get to do it with another Republican governor here. We'll know the answer to that maybe in a few days. Uh, what would be, assuming, assuming that things stay as they are, that Republicans hold on to the Senate and hold on to the legislature and hold on to the governor's mansion. You go back and you're still the Senate majority leader. What would be the next big item for you folks? Well, we always have a checklist what we're looking forward to, anybody that's that's doing the job right. And I have a few for this upcoming session. Uh, naturally, you hear a lot of conversation about health care, mm -hmm. especially in Georgia, the rural areas of the state, uh, making sure they have adequate access to affordable and quality health care. We're going to do what we can to keep expanding that. I'm paying a lot of attention to rural broadband. And, and when we talk about rural, what we really mean is non-metro Atlanta. Uh, I have more complaints out of Oconee County, my constituents, that can't get high-speed internet access out there. Big $300,000 houses, but they're so uh, widely spaced that it doesn't make a lot of economic sense for the providers to run the cable or the fiber optics. We have got to figure out a way to connect all of Georgia because that is now mandatory for business. It's mandatory for education. I mean, you got kids can't do their homework without driving to a McDonald's parking lot and hooking onto their Wi-Fi in a lot of areas of this state. I mean, right down the road in Madison, Georgia, that's going on in Dalton, Georgia, in relatively well, I large I hear it areas. all the time yeah. out of Franklin County and, and up in northeast Georgia where Doug Collins is right. the congressman. He's been fighting that at the federal level. Well, we're going to solve that. And that's, How? That's what's what's the government's role here? We have to do a combination of incentivizing the providers to run that cable or that fiber optic or the satellite, whatever the means of connectivity is, to that final mile to the rural areas. 
either by incentivizing them or by helping subsidize from the government. Well, you know, we, we've traveled this road before. That's how we got EMCs and, and electricity. Well, it was one thing to power homes in Atlanta, sure. telephones, cable TV, all the rest of it. Senator Bill Cousert with us this morning. And kind of, kind of the same thing, too, with the circle back to health care. You mentioned the issues specifically as related to rural parts of Georgia and health care. There are counties, I, and I'm listening and hearing that there are counties in Georgia that literally don't have a physician. There, there are certainly right. hospitals that are on the ropes in some of those counties. Uh, your opponent, uh, Mary Sue Hilliard, and all the Democrats, uh, they all seem to land in the same place in terms of fixing all this. That There's a panacea they see in uh, the Medicaid expansion. Yeah, I keep hearing that. In fact, I think my opponent has said she favors that and a single-payer system. Well, I mean, let's just get down to it. When you have a single-payer system, that single-payer is the government. And we can see in many examples of how inefficient the government is. And I don't think many Georgians want the government to pick their physician for them, tell them who is approved, who will accept Medicaid patients, and who won't. So what we want to do is a more customized plan for the state of Georgia to get waivers from the federal government, which are now possible under the Trump administration, to expand Medicaid to make it more available, but by utilizing private insurance companies. Let's subsidize those. Let's give people the choice, and let's do things to encourage more doctors to participate in a Medicaid program, and let's do things to give them options of private insurance that may give them a higher reimbursement well, rate and make them more likely could, to visit Could not argue that that private network uh, did that, and that insurance company also does that. They, they, they decide who my doctor is going to be in some respects or, or sometimes who my doctor is not going to be. If my that, that Dr. Brown's not in network, then I'm going to go to Dr. White. But you get to choose that insurance company. And if the company doesn't have your doctor in the network, you let them know and you choose a company that does. And this is maybe not the fault of the Georgia legislature. In fact, it certainly isn't. But as you know, those choices are limited. They are. They get more, more and more limited limited as the costs rise. So we have to be uh, vigilant to try to do everything we can to reduce the cost. This Medicaid system we have now is broken. I mean, it is so inefficient and you don't have any incentives for a patient to do well patient care. It's just fixing somebody after they're hurt without any preventive care. Uh, it, it is uh, it, is, it has so many flaws in it that there are a great percentage, I think even the majority of doctors, don't want to participate because of the, the red tape and the headaches and the low reimbursement rates. That's not the answer. Uh, and the cost is out of control. And we, we get... Am I right? It's the fastest growing part of the state budget every year. Yeah, I believe we've doubled the cost of, of our Medicaid expenditures over the last decade, wow. even without expanding the eligibility, the number of people. That but now are, they are will there. say, the Democrats will say, well, those are federal dollars and you're just leaving them on the table. Some of them are, but it's a federal uh, state joint effort. Right now, it's roughly two to one federal dollars to state dollars. The expansion incentive under the Obamacare is to get 90% match from the federal government, but that's going to decrease over time. And so what are we going to do? We're going to put people on this system, get them dependent on it, and then the cost balloon out of control, which we know the federal share is going to decrease uh, down the road. It is financially unsustainable to do it under the current system, and that was wise of Governor Deal to decide, let's don't wade into this and get hooked on it and dependent upon it and then let the price skyrocket on us and the state share increase to where we are 
hamstrung on all the other areas of state spending. And by the way, you give the governor credit, and, and initially that's the case. The governor decided. Now it's up to the legislature. The legislature, as True. I understand it, could now, if you, if the legislature wanted to, and some Republicans do, could vote to accept the Medicaid expansion. They can, and the governor cannot expand without the permission of right. the legislature now. Mary Sue Hill, your Democrat, challenging uh, Bill Kausser, the state Senate Majority Leader, Athens Republican, in studio with us now, 916 Classics of Today, sponsored by Dr. Paul Brown, MD. There's a conventional wisdom out there. We look at a very close governor's race, or the polls at least tell us that it is, that there's this blue wave is going to sweep all the Republicans out of office, and it's a great year to be a woman. Uh, you're neither a Democrat nor a woman. You concerned about this at all? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm, I'm not uh, concerned. I think it's interesting. We've noticed uh, really across the state the Democratic Party has fielded candidates in many races uh, more than normal. And many of these candidates are women, and I think it's a concerted effort to turn out the vote and the female vote. What we have found is in a response is it energized Republicans. It got people like me that have uh, been fortunate, in my view anyway, not to have an opponent in the general election in several years, to get out and start really working and motivating my base and getting people to vote. And I think that's happening statewide. So we expect a very large turnout uh, and it's going to be large on the Republican side and large on the Democratic well, I side. I see that already. Yeah. It has been. I saw this number this morning, 1.6 million early votes so far, early in absentees. I mean, that's approaching what you get overall in a lot of elections. So it obviously is. It, a lot of it's interest. getting big. But, uh, you know, fortunately for me, our, our state is still a red state, it's still majority <laughs> Republican. So if the same percentage of Republican voters turn out to vote as Democratic voters, then I think we'll see uh, most people return to office. Something that, that doesn't get discussed a lot at the state level, uh, increasingly not as much at the national level. We tend to react to things. Something happens and we talk about it. Thankfully, something hasn't happened in a number of years. We haven't had anything major by way of a terrorist attack on American soil. But you're telling me that one of the areas in which you have involved yourself, uh, under the radar, doesn't get a lot of attention, Homeland Security. What are you doing? Yeah, we have spent the last three years uh, driving Georgia policy to make certain that we're doing everything we can to protect Georgia citizens from domestic terrorism, from whatever source. I mean, it can be a white supremacist group, it can be an Islamic nationalist group, but we need to make sure that we're safe because we're seeing these attacks all over the country, everything from bombings in Philadelphia to school shootings and things. So we have uh, put into our code a joint federal-state process, and we call it the Fusion Center, where the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and FBI collaborate with our GBI and other law enforcement to be vigilant and protect against terrorist acts and to respond to them. We've uh, passed legislation to give our state's attorney general the power to prosecute terrorist activities. We've redefined the definition of domestic terrorism, so it can now include any attack on our critical infrastructure or attacks on one or more people can be called a terrorist attack when it used to be it took 10 or more. Mm. So the killings there in Charleston where nine people died would not have been considered terrorism. Wow. We all know they are. Sure. So now those uh, we've, we've redefined terrorism broader so that we can enforce it. And I think most importantly, we have gone into the planning and prevention stage. We've created a board of Homeland Security for the state of Georgia. It's made up of 17 individuals, mostly department heads, public safety, state patrol, National Guard. There's a state senator and a state representative. I'm fortunate to be the senator on it since I spearheaded most of these laws. Our job is going to be to create a plan for to present to the government to implement 
to prevent these attacks. We're all geared up now to respond to them, mm-hmm. but we need to make sure they don't happen. And I, I think we would be putting our head in the sand if we just acted like this might never happen in Georgia. We have some, uh, you know, the second busiest port in the country, the busiest airport in the world. We're having the Super Bowl coming in in February. A couple of new reactors being so, built. Yeah, we're a target. Uh, you know, we have Warner Robins Air Force Base, which uh, and other key military installations. So I think it's a lot of ripe targets for terrorists here, and we want to make sure uh, that we keep our people safe. A couple of things quickly. Uh, your opponent, I'm Mary Sue Hill, you'd mentioned it in, in discussing what, what got her involved in politics initially. Moms Demand Action Against Guns, or I'm, I may be misstating the name of that organization, but it's her effort to, to do something, she says, to rein in and give us some common sense gun laws. I pointed out in our forum, the one you weren't able to attend, listen, uh, Senator Kalsert voted against the campus carry bill. What's your gripe with him? Uh, well, his vote wasn't really needed, and he's not in the right place on guns. Where are you on guns? Well, I, I voted against the the guns on campus bill, and it's because of listening to my constituents. The vast majority of the people that weighed in with me on that uh, believe that guns are inappropriate and widely, to be widely available anyway on campus. Uh, of course, my most important constituent, my wife, said, you better not come home tonight if you vote for that bill. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but I agreed there in, in that case. Now, I'm a big Second uh, Amendment rights supporter. I've got an A rating from NRA. I'm an avid hunter. I own a number of firearms. You didn't vote um, against that bill because you're anti-gun. You voted no. against it from your perspective because it was a bad bill. That's correct. Yeah, and it's actually very unenforceable. It's so technical where you can and cannot uh, carry guns on campus. So it's a it's a complicated bill the way that came out. I'm very relieved and glad that uh, you know there's been no incidents on campus or any campus in the state. And and I think that's true in most other states I, 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 that have those laws. Yeah, pretty much uh, in a couple yeah. of dozen states that do. Senator Bill Cowsert. Uh, something else we've talked about with these Democrats who are running through the various legislative seats. Uh, none of them enamored of the tax cuts uh, you Republicans imposed earlier or gave us earlier this year. We're amazed. Uh, I mean, we have the broadest tax cut ever seen in Georgia. Over the next five years, we have cut $5 billion in taxes. And it is for every income category. In fact, the lower your income, the bigger percentage tax cut you got. Mm-hmm. So this is not targeted at the rich or, or elite groups or but corporations. But you know how the media you know. will play these things oh, and how the left will yeah. play these. Any tax cut becomes de facto a tax cut for the rich. That's what they say, but I don't buy it. Uh, I mean, not when it is across the board the way this one is. This is putting more money in Georgians' pockets so that they can spend it and stimulate the economy. And our economy is booming. I mean, we are presenting great opportunities to our citizens uh, all in education. We, we're not getting any credit. We have the first time fully funded the QBE formula. No, the, the Democrats, yeah. and again, we've had them in here and invited these folks who are running for office, both the incumbents in the House and, and those who are, are seeking the Senate seats. And, 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 and we mentioned that. Listen, you, you always come in here and yell about wanting more money for education. Finally, Governor Deal and the Republicans fully funded QBE. Their response is, yes, that's great, but now let's fix QBE. Let's rework the funding formula. Right. And I think Every governor since I've been in office has tried to do that, and it's all about sharing the money between the rich counties and the poor counties and how's that fair, how are you going to divide up the state portion of it. Sometimes but, even within the counties, there's a constitutional amendment proposed that deals with uh, counties, and we're not one, but there are counties that have multiple school districts, Jackson County, to pick right. one in Gwinnett County, another many others, that have multiple school systems, city, county, whatever, and the larger and the smaller, and they're always fighting about the, right. the, the divide of tax dollars. Well, it's a, it's a balance, Tim between state and local control. 
we all agree that local school boards knows what's best for their local students. But we set some parameters statewide, class size, those type of things, and we largely fund it from the state, but not 100%. Mm-hmm. Local districts pay almost 50% of the money, but from the teacher pay, a lot of that's coming from the from the state. And, and we have the highest paid teachers in the southeastern United States. And if Brian Kemp's governor, he wants to give them another raise because that's, that's where the the rubber hits the road, the teacher in the classroom. That's who we value. We have always spent more than half the budget. It's been as high as 57% since I've been in on education. And now we've fully funded it. We're building schools, beautiful facilities. We're doing the, uh, the, the internet access in all of our schools. We're doing everything we can, and we're getting results. Graduation rates have risen dramatically. We saw just recently in the paper where our SAT scores and ACT scores are, are rising faster than the national. So we're getting the results we want, but it's a slow process, and we're committed to it, and we'll remain that way. You mentioned local control. Uh, one of your Senate colleagues up there, Steve Gooch, our Republican from Lumpkin County, is making the rounds. He's got another hearing, I think it's next week. This business about the starting the school year starts too soon, some say late July, early August, most places now. and maybe we, Is that something the state needs to be deciding? Why can't Clark County figure out when to start its school year? Well, I think right now it is left up to the to the counties, and I, I don't know what kind of parameters they'll come up with. I'm old school. I mean, I, you can tell by my gray or white hair now. You know, I, I grew up in started the Started after went, Labor Day. Yeah, I went to public schools in, in Macon, and uh, we started after Labor Day, and you ended Memorial Day, and that mm-hmm. was pretty much it. You had a three-month summer. Things are really off from that now, and I think a lot of parents are upset when their kids are going back to school August the 6th. Uh, there are arguments to be made that it's more expensive because the heating uh, and air conditioning mm-hmm. bills, you know, in the in the summer you're having to air condition it. I am not really engaged in that debate largely because all my kids are now high school. My baby is 25 years old, and yeah. so I'm not as it's not as direct of an impact on on my life. That is a study committee. Mm-hmm. They're gathering data and facts and information from around the state, and I'm not sure what conclusions they'll reach or what proposals they'll make as a result. That's a that's a neat process we do. That that is a great way to study the issues in detail out of session. We have one on school safety mm-hmm. that I'm way more concerned about. That's uh, uh, Senator Albers. Yes. John Albers. Yeah, Senator John Albers is doing a fabulous job around the state getting input from stakeholders. And we've now, we've, we've put a lot of money in the budget this year to give discretionary spending to local school districts to come up with uh, their own school safety plans. They can use it how they want to, but we're requiring each school district to come up with a plan. How are we going to protect our students and train our personnel uh, to do their roles in that process. Well, very simple here. The website, BillCowsert.com, C-O-W-S-E-R-T, BillCowsert.com, running for re-election, the election that is now five days away, the early voting that ramps up tomorrow. I, I have never seen so many campaign signs, yours and everybody else's, Democrat, Republican, never seen more local engagement in, in a local election. Now, it'll be interesting to see what happens on Tuesday. Best of luck on Tuesday. Well, thank you, Tim. It, it has been such a privilege for me to be able to serve the people in the 46th district, and I, I value that, and I appreciate the opportunity. I realize I'm sitting in that chair in your place Senator uh, Bill to Council. speak for you and uh, ask for everybody's vote. Good luck Tuesday. on Tuesday. 